Welcome to RPG PodQuest, the show that's not only about RPGs, but is an RPG. I'm one of your hosts, Will. And I'm your other host, Evan. Evan, this is episode 9. Can you believe that? Yes, this is the episode where we write how things were going because things went crazy in episode 8 and now we got the original director of episode 7 back no that was a Star Wars reference sorry <laughs> this is the episode people are going to be talking about oh oh sure it's a, it's a big big twist palpatine's returning in this one yeah i i don't know what the rpg podquest uh version of palpatine is but it's sure to cause some controversy i bet like i'm it's it's got to happen well, but I, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I, I think uh, one of the things that that we'll be returning that we'll be talking about is probably a little bit of uh, of Tales of, which has been a pretty mm-hmm. consistent sort of uh, element. But also, we're going to talk a little bit more about Square Enix because Square Enix <laughs> uh, released some news recently that uh, that I think is worth mentioning. So maybe Square Enix is our Palpatine. Maybe. Maybe it's my Palpatine. Maybe not yours. <laughs> Your own personal Palpatine. Yes. Uh, no, sorry. So, yeah, <laughs> we've, we've got a whole bunch of stuff uh, lined up for you uh, for this episode. But, uh, Will, was there anything in particular you wanted to start off with? Yeah, let's kick it off with a little bit of news. Um, so, Tokyo Game Show was this past weekend and a little bit more. I'm not sure. It was several days recently. And uh, since I've been the xbox correspondent on this podcast recently playing a lot of xbox and game pass um one thing stood out to me that i thought was really interesting um and i'm just gonna read this quote to you um from phil spencer the head of xbox who said that xbox is working every single day to increase our lineup of japanese games in order to help bring japanese games around the world it's an honor to support tokyo game show and our japanese partners We're working with Japanese publishers every single day to increase our lineup of Japanese games on Xbox. We know it's really important to fans and customers on Xbox. And I found that really exciting because Xbox is kind of my my console that I usually go to when I'm not playing on Switch, where I play non-Nintendo games and non-Switch games, obviously. And I've been really enjoying Game Pass, but there aren't a ton of JRPGs there that I want to play, so I'm excited to see what xbox has in store for us i can completely see why phil spencer would want to say something like this at tokyo game show in terms (laughs) well yes definitely but uh even just as a brand uh xbox has never really taken off in japan all that much Mm -hmm. there were maybe some reasons that you would want to buy an xbox over a playstation or a nintendo system over the the past years but i think it would largely be to play a lot of western titles yeah so i can understand why japanese developers might not have been too keen to support the platform but for uh, xbox i think it's essential that they expand or at least broaden their library of japanese games especially if they want to compete in a space that is similar to sony and Hearing these comments, thinking about this this sort of perspective of what Xbox does, it only reminds me all that much more of how unique all three major uh, hardware mm-hmm. developers are uh, in, in terms of the, the kinds of experiences they offer. So I, 
can't tell you how much I hate seeing console war debate raging on social media because sometimes I just take a step back and I say like why <laughs> you know right the, these the, they they offer such unique uh, sorts of experiences and sometimes that's a good thing uh, I think especially for the market it's it's allowed these three to coexist for for as long as they have but you know putting them toe to toe with one another I, I think that you can rarely find uh, any qualifiers that unite all three. But I, I do suppose if you're talking about RPGs, specifically Japanese RPGs, I think uh, Microsoft has the weakest offering of the three. Totally. And like I really like how Game Pass is making games accessible in a new way. And I'm excited that they they see that it's important to bring Japanese games to their service and to their platform because I think it can introduce a lot of new people who have not played many Japanese or Japanese games in general or JRPGs. Hopefully, I'm I'm interpreting this as JRPGs, but I know he just said Japanese games, <laughs> but this is my wishful thinking that it's all JRPGs. Well, I mean, I think. When, when you think of a lot of the major exports from Japan in terms of gaming, two of the, the largest genres that I think of are RPGs and visual novels, too. Yeah. I think that's that those are the, the mainstays, um, or that's at least where you get a lot of Japanese personality. So I think that's a completely valid uh, you know, perspective or, or takeaway. Uh, to, to get from Mr. Spencer's comments. But in terms of other things that were on display at uh, Tokyo Game Show, I just wanted to touch on a couple of titles that I found uh, to be of particular interest. So not necessarily any sort of familiar franchise, but one that has been making a lot of waves recently uh, because of its successful Kickstarter was uh, A Yudin Chronicle, uh, which, and again, I, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and I'm also not sure if I'm pronouncing uh, the original series, but I believe it's uh, Sui Doken or Sui... Uh, Something like that. I think those yes. are the right letters, for sure. <laughs> maybe the, the right syllables, but maybe the wrong order. But the developers of those games, which were always known for having these very large sorts of casts uh, of, of recruitable characters for your party and allowing you a lot of uh, freedom of choice in how you develop them. Uh, they, they ran a very successful Kickstarter, so successful, in fact, that uh, they have confirmed a sort of spin-off slash prequel game uh, called uh, A Yudin Chronicle Rising, which is a town sim uh, RPG that's going to feature some of the characters that are going to be in the main game. So it's actually not Sweet Doken, it's Sweet Coden. <laughs> and Will, have you ever played any of those titles? I have not. I had a friend who was really into them years and years ago. So I watched like a little bit of it, but I haven't played them myself. To me, I think it's the most Western sort of Japanese RPG concept uh, in in terms of offering freedom of choice because obviously a lot of Japanese RPGs are very linear in terms mm -hmm. of narrative design and maybe some sometimes how you engage with quests um, but allowing such a freedom of playable characters and really being able to make the party that you want to make I think is a, a pretty thrilling part of that series so 
I will also say I was following the Kickstarter uh, for this game when it was uh, first going through uh, the sort of press circuit and, and things like that. And I really loved the character designs, but also how unique a lot of the characters were. I think there was mm. like a necromancer that you could recruit and, you know, some sort of earth uh, priestess or, or shaman. Uh, and, and they just looked really fascinating. And this is using... I guess you could say this this 2D HD HD 2D uh, sort of a, a aesthetic moniker that has come to prevalence or prominence with Square Enix's more more recent like retro revisions. Uh, so I'm I'm really looking forward to this game. I think combat in particular looks really gorgeous uh, in, in a way that is very different from what you see in Triangle Strategy or Octopath Traveler. But uh, if we don't really have anything else to say about it, I guess we can move on to some other news. Uh, were there any announcements that, that stuck out to you from Tokyo Game Show? Or uh, or sh- should I should I list, list a couple of, of titles that piqued my interest? You keep going. You're on a roll. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, another game that I did see from Square Enix... Uh, which is actually launching very, very soon. I believe on October 14th is when this game will be launching in both the East and the West, uh, was Dungeon Encounters from uh, Square Enix. Will, did you hear about this game at all? Uh, I I know that name isn't very unique or memorable in some ways, (laughs) so I might need to jog your memory a little bit. Um, yeah, it's a really funny story because I know nothing about it, but my quest for this week had to do with dungeons. And so I was Googling dungeons a lot and I kept finding this game every time when I searched anything about dungeons, it came up. So I don't know if that's my search history that's uh, pointing me in that direction, but I thought that was kind of funny. But tell us about it. That's uh, that that's a, a curious coincidence uh, with the... T- subject material of this podcast and and news that was happening. Uh, So as far as I can understand, Dungeon Encounters is a dungeon exploration RPG. That's how they are are marketing this. And it's very much focused on puzzle solving in dungeon scenarios, but uh, it's it's a grid-based RPG. So all of these uh, squares or these dungeons that you're moving through are uh, corridors of squares uh, that are that that need to be filled out. And I think that you actually receive cer- certain bonuses if you fill out the entire floor of the dungeon, because in their press junket, uh, they they do talk about the title offering 100 levels of of challenges. I'm assuming those le- levels are going to be dungeon floors. Uh, but if you mm-hmm. look at a trailer for this game, it is perhaps the most aesthetically bland thing I have seen from Square Enix in a while, uh, in that the dungeon floors, yes, they are grid-based, and there's a little bit of like aesthetic polish to it, but there's no sorts of additional aesthetics. You're really just seeing uh, a grid on your screen as you're moving through these. And I found that kind of weird. Um, When you're in a turn-based battle, the character portraits are actually really lush and and, uh, unique in in ways that you don't see from either Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest. Uh, So they really fascinate me, but you don't see that aesthetic anywhere else in the world. Mm. And I 
am kind of confused by that. Um, but this seems to be almost like a a counterpart to the game that we talked about last week, which was Voice of Cards, in that these both seem to be like very traditionally styled RPGs that are maybe doing something very, very specific. <laughs> so I can't believe I'm saying this, but Dungeon Encounters does seem like an RPG that is all gimmick. And I don't know about polish, but it's funny how that also coincides with uh, with my quest for this week as well. Comes up uh, in so, all the search results. Yeah, I mean, did you look at any gameplay or did you watch a trailer? Um, I I think I did watch a trailer because I have like I I definitely saw screenshots and I in my head they're moving, so I guess it was a trailer. Um, and it looked pretty interesting. It looked kind of like you were saying like a different take on voice of the cards like just taking it taking this concept and just pushing it like maybe too far but pushing it all the way and i i think with voice of cards and with this these are most definitely lower budget sorts of experiments and maybe it's just square enix sort of throwing things at the wall and and Mm -hmm. seeing what sticks uh but a couple of notes to take away from this that this game is apparently going to feature a, a refined iteration of uh, the classic ATB system, uh, which might be something that uh, appeals to to some individuals. And I could see, too, that there were certain sections where you had to try to use party-specific abilities to maybe complete squares in a certain order in order to uh, unlock certain bonuses. So... As I was talking to a friend of mine, he did note that uh, uh, Nobuo Uematsu is a musical director. I don't know if he is is composing uh, any tracks in specific for the game, but it's always nice to see him still working because uh, in a lot of ways, people thought that Fantasian was going to be one of the last works uh, that he was contributing to. Mm-hmm. Nice to see more. Definitely. There were a couple of other smaller games that I thought looked pretty cute. I'm not going to go into a a whole lot of detail, Um, but (laughs) the 3D dungeon uh, exploration RPG Potato Flowers in Full Bloom (laughs) looked really, really cute. Uh, It kind of reminds me of Boyfriend Dungeon uh, in a way, um, because it's it's just very uh, cute, but it is a first-person dungeon explorer, so... I'm, I'm curious to see how the, the, the game ends up looking. Uh, and, uh, of course, I feel like I'm sort of swimming in uh, first-person dungeon explorers, or at least grid-based dungeon explorers. Uh, that's something that's really exciting to me. Um, another game that I, I've been keeping an eye on for a while, uh, and it's one that I really do want to play, is Little Witch Nobetta, uh, which is a, a mage centric sort of dark souls game uh where the you know stamina and and combat that you're involved in is really punishing but you're playing as a witch who mostly uses ranged combat Mm -hmm. that uh is it's definitely more of an independent uh title but it seems that progress is moving along very smoothly with that game and actually not really uh tgs related but something that we have talked about previously and I, I figured would be worth mentioning again uh, is uh, Children of Morta just recently got a free update on Switch and some more DLC was announced for it too. Uh, so 
I would love to have a reason to come on back to that game, and that's actually coming really, really soon. The Ancient Spirits DLC is going to be releasing on October 7th for five bucks. Oh, wow, that is really soon. Yeah, so I, I'm curious to see what that adds uh, in terms of content to the game. Aside from that, I think that's all of the new stuff that we want to talk about, except, I don't know, I mean, Will, do you have any thoughts about uh, any of the new Pokemon information that was released recently? I honestly really don't. Like, I'm just kind of waiting, <laughs> and I, I'm not. I'm probably not going to pick up Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. I like the games. I just don't see enough different about them other than they look a lot better um, and brighter and more colorful, obviously, but not enough to justify me buying the games again because I bought both Diamond and Pearl back in the day. Oh, wow. I still have it, and I can still play it. Yeah. Again, the only reason that I'm seriously considering picking these up is because I don't have my original copy of Pearl. Yeah. If that was the case, I would definitely get it. Yeah, and, and but all the information that they've been showing so far is, yep, this is Pokemon Diamond and Pearl, definitely. It feels like a very, very faithful remake, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Yeah. There was a little bit more information revealed about, you know, being able to use uh, or being able to make outfits and uh, certain sorts of engagements that are going to be happening in uh, Pokemon Legends Arceus. And I'm just going to say it right now. I know that the initial marketing for this game really tried to tie it thematically to Breath of the Wild, but mm-hmm. I don't see this game being open world. Uh, and that might be a hot take, but the more I see of this game, the more I think that this is going to be uh, segmented, very large environments where you can explore a whole lot, but I, I don't think that they are going to go that extra mile and and allow you access to everywhere i think that they they are definitely going to try to push some sort of story so to me this seems like it might be something more along the lines of uh, a xenoblade game in design um, which might be appealing to some people i don't want to get my hopes up for this being a truly fully open world and i will happily eat my hat if that is not the case yeah i'm in the same boat i think i think it's going to be more like what you're saying and if we're wrong, then that's a great surprise. Definitely. Uh, and uh, if I am wrong, I'm really curious to see how they actually implement those sort of open world systems and stylings into a game like this. But for right now, I think that just a, a lot of freeform exploration and discovery is still really appealing to me. Um, I, I, I have always been a huge proponent for the narrative and Pokemon uh being in the background rather than at the forefront Mm. and if this just lets me run around and catch and observe pokemon that sounds good to me but uh let's let's move away from from news and talk about games we've been playing uh so will do you want to you want to start this off sure um i can start off because mine segues really well from last week because i'm still playing tales of vesperia actually i was i finished it oh well congratulations thank you um, and again, this goes back to my game, my game pass subscription was ending and I was like, I want to get through this. Cause I started, I got the subscription a long time ago when Tales of Vesperia first came to it. I was like, Oh, I've been wanting to check out this game. It's on game pass. Now's a good time. And I kept bouncing off and not getting far. And then I finally dove in and just really got into it recently. Um, I talked about it a bit last week. I'd been playing it quite a bit on, um, from remote play on my phone from xbox 
and I kept doing that and I just powered through the rest of it and I really enjoyed my time with this game it and the more I thought about it it's what I wished that Nino Kuni was Nino Kuni is kind of my own personal Palpatine mm. <laughs> um I just I played it and I enjoyed Nino Kuni but there was just something about it that grated at me and Tales of Vesperia was that like lush exciting fun adventurous cartoon world that i had wanted from nino kuni it just delivered on that for me and i really enjoyed like i think i talked about this a bit last week too that i think the other games in the series might not be as much for me because none of them look as like beautifully cartoony as it does um i don't know actually about the ones just after it maybe there are more that look more like it but like the previous ones I don't think look as good and the later ones look more I don't know not quite as cartoony not quite as cute and colorful maybe so um, correct me if I'm wrong but Vesperia originally released on the Xbox 360 this, this is true so this ties back to the um, Xbox bringing Japanese games to the world and I think it was an exclusive to Xbox yes yes I... which is yeah weird and interesting because like you said xbox has not had many japanese games not many jrpgs in its history but it went hard on that one and i i find it really interesting when series do that too like it'll be like a series will be traditionally on one platform and then it'll release a game to appeal to a new audience on a completely different console and i find that really interesting because i'm sure a lot of people got sucked into the series through that one being available in a different way who would have never played these games so i think that's really cool sure i I think especially with jrpgs there is a sort of legacy feeling to where they release and Mm -hmm. you know audiences are built up over time uh in in order to to generate that interest but i also think with jrpgs since they are in terms of writing such a, a a hefty commitment and in terms of game length they're they're pretty hefty as well they really do try to to guarantee that they are going to hit the audience that they want to hit which is sometimes why that sort of console uh exclusivity uh, mm. so, sort of thing happens and so vesperia is is very fascinating in that it released on a a console that wasn't really known for supporting uh, Japanese games, but the fact that this was also a 360 game—I mean, you're you're looking at a game that released in a s- similar sort of generation as Nino Kuni, and mm-hmm. when I think of maybe Symphonia, I, I think of uh, the developers getting a grasp on on 3D game development and yeah. sort of tr- trans transferring or or getting a better grip on how they want those aesthetics to look but vesperia really does have those aesthetics that they always wanted to aim for which is this you're in control of an anime right Uh, it's that sort of feeling and i can understand why you maybe looked for that in nino kuni i do think that that game's visuals are still great and i think it it, Mm -hmm. it is a gorgeous looking game Uh, it it is very much a, a studio ghibli rpg but i also think that in terms of structure uh it's really a whole lot more like a dragon quest game 
than it is like uh, maybe more of like a Final Fantasy uh, with a, a more linear but engaging storyline. So in that way, I can see Vesperia or the Tales of series being that uh, anime styled but, you know, traditional uh, Japanese RPG sort of feel more in the vein of, of Final Fantasy than uh, than something a little bit more traditional. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think honestly that's a lot of what I liked about it because I think you touched on this a bit last week too when we were talking about it that action RPGs with this kind of like weirdly looking 3D battle system but feeling 2D feels weird and kind of wrong to me and I think that's why I bounced off it initially. But the more I played it this time, I was focused more on all the other RPG elements like customizing my characters and that kind of thing and their skills and abilities and the story and the visuals and the combat just kind of it was pretty easy i was playing on easy mode so it wasn't like i was spending a lot of time thinking about the combat as much as as just button mashing and that kind of thing but it was really the other pieces of it that drew me in so yeah i think that's that's a fair comparison okay so having completed tales of vesperia does it land anywhere on a on a list of yours or have you uh would would you recommend it to others uh, what's your what's your final impression Ooh, good question um i it definitely hits my list of like favorite favorite jrpgs probably favorite rpgs like definitely top 20 i would say okay and like maybe approaching top 10 like it was really enjoyable um, and now it's available everywhere, so I would definitely recommend it, especially like if you already have Game Pass and you can play it for free, and you can get it on Switch and PS4, and like you can play it pretty much everywhere now, which is kind of cool. I'm curious to check out, actually, um, like on Switch. I want to pick up a physical copy on Switch just to have it because I liked it that much, and just to see how it is on Switch if it's as beautiful, because I do. It might be like playing it on my phone screen or playing it on the xbox in general made it look crisper than it actually would be in other formats so i'm curious to see how it holds up sure i think uh, display options are always a, a hugely important thing and it's why again being excited about seeing a lot of rpgs released on switch that were on other platforms like nino kuni uh, mm-hmm. has been something that's very exciting, but also uh, something to be wary about. Because I know that a lot of yeah. people did have some issues with the Switch version of Nino Kuni, which I think is a shame uh, because that game deserves uh, as much love and care uh, as, as it can possibly get. But uh, on the other hand, then you have stuff like Digimon uh, Cyber Sleuth, which was a Vita game that Mm-hmm. you know, is really easy to port to Switch. So I, I wonder, I do wonder where uh, Vesperia falls uh, on that scale. But I'm glad to hear that you've enjoyed it. I'm glad to hear that you uh, you you view it so highly. Um, but we've still got a whole bunch of other stuff to talk about. So I'd just like Me to uh, to talk about a couple of the things I've been playing uh, in the past week. And I have not really sunk my teeth into something uh, super in-depth just yet. So I'm I'm really hoping for that that game that game of games. Although with Metroid Dread coming out this week, I do think that that's probably going to be my area of focus. Although I'm going to try to uh, 
to to explore some some other games, some other releases. But the game that I wanted to focus on uh, most intently this week is Earthborn. And Earthborn is a weird game to talk about because we've mentioned it before, but we've never called it by its name. So this is the mm-hmm. RPG mini game that is in Eastward, and I have pretty much been exclusively playing this. Wow, cool. <laughs> uh, but I will say that I maybe talked this game up a little bit too much <laughs> initially, uh, it is in it is a an RPG, and I do think that you can get a, a decent amount of time out of it. But it's not as expansive as I had hoped it would be, and there are some systems at play that make it something you can return to, but something that also you need to approach with a degree of of understanding that it is in fact a mini game to Eastward. So okay. when you look at the world map of uh, Earthborn, you see in some ways it is similar to a, a map like The Legend of Zelda, the, the original, where if you were to look at it as, as just a giant grid, uh, it, it would look like a, a big rectangle. But the way that it's depicted uh, in the, the world map that you can view is... There are some larger areas, but they're all interconnected by smaller uh, pathways. And when you're walking down these uh, pathways, you know, you see the the rows of trees left and right. But the the game world is limited uh, in in nature. And there are certain areas that you can visit uh, that have caves. And caves are a reliable source of experience. And they're also a a reliable source for gaining uh, equipment. When you defeat a cave, you get a, a piece of equipment, but equipment is always randomized, and that's important for the, mm. the sort of structure uh, of the game. Then there is also these locations where there are fast travel points that look, uh, I, I guess, similar to uh, which Zelda game had the bird statues that you could warp to. Was that Link to the Past? Oh, gosh. I'm, I'm just thinking birds and Skyward Sword. I... Yeah, well. It's neither here or there. It's not uh, hugely important. But there are some places that you can warp to, and there's no real uh, important landmark nearby. But then there are these castles that you can find all around the world map. And they actually have heroes in them. So your starting party is uh, kind of whimsical. You start with the traditional hero. Then you have a merchant who is actually sort of like a mobile shop. You can always shop from him if he is in your party. And then you also have a monkey, and uh, mm. that monkey is maybe my least favorite uh, RPG character that I've ever uh, had the misfortune of, of interacting with, because wow. as he goes up level, he becomes smarter, but that means that when he is low-leveled, he chooses commands randomly, and he can disregard your instructions. So it's almost like trying to use a Pokemon when it's over-leveled and you don't have the badge to uh, control it just yet. Uh, And you might want to plot something out, and the monkey might want to do something completely different, which is frustrating. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that sounds very frustrating. But as you explore the world, as you come across these castles... You can find new members uh, of your party. You can find, I think I could list them all right here. You find a a shaman, a mage, uh, a hunter, 
bow and arrow uh, user, a monk, and honestly, is there anything else? I'm not thinking of anything else. Uh, but those are heroes that you can add to your party, and they are substantial uh, party members in the way that the hero is, because the merchant and the monkey, they can equip accessories, but they can't equip uh, new weapons. And that's important because weapons are going to be a, a really uh, essential way that you can defeat the the big bad at the end of the game. Now, where this game adds a unique fold is that you only have seven days in the game world to gather experience, to find your heroes, uh, and to prepare essentially for fighting the final boss at the end so there is a day and night cycle and it's very very brisk so you can explore the world and you can maybe get to i think in a single playthrough you could probably get to one or two of these castles uh without or before i should say uh, before having to, to to face the final boss and chances are you're gonna lose against that final boss because mm-hmm. uh you're party might not be great uh when you're when your party when a party member uh falls in the front row uh in in battle uh a character who is sort of in reserve will switch in so if you if you've only found one or two of these heroes that's living uh in in the game world you'll if one of them falls you'll then switch in your merchant or your monkey so that's why you want to try to have all of these uh heroes but Fortunately, when you lose against the final boss, you restart the entire game, but you have access to all the shortcuts that you found, so all of the the fast travel warps, and you also have access to all of the heroes that you've unlocked or that you found in previous runs. And so the game becomes less of a sort of grindy RPG, and it becomes more about finding all of the most economic and efficient places to grind up experience and to also uh, mm-hmm. to get items so that you'll be well-equipped for that final battle. There are other areas, too, in the, in the game that are locked off by these magic keys, or magic locks, I should say. And the only way that you can access them is by beating the final boss of the base game. And I haven't done that yet. Um, I'm really hoping to uh, get that done within hopefully another one or two hours of playing. Um, But it's been an enjoyable experience. I will say that the aesthetics of the game are, again, very, very classic. Uh, It's it's one-bit graphics, so it's black and white are are the only colors that you're dealing with. But the character portraits are very charming. Uh, And again, the writing is is truly delightful. So um, I have not made much progress in the actual Eastward game yet because I care so much about completing this, but... I'm, I'm really enjoying it a whole lot. Um, that sounds really cool. I kept forgetting as you're talking that this is a game within a game. Like It sounds like really intriguing and cool on its own. Definitely, yeah. It is, it, it's, it's unique in ways that I was not anticipating. And while it does have some fundamentals of, of RPG design, uh, I think this 
at least initial campaign is more about just kind of coming up with the the perfect sort of run so that you'll be prepared mm. for this final boss in the end. And uh, I'm not sure, maybe they're subtly trying to tell me that I can't beat that final boss at the, ver- at the very start of the game. Um, because again, I haven't even left the first town in Eastward. Oh, wow. <laughs> but uh, I think with enough tenacity, I can pull this off. Very cool. And how much time have you put into um, Earthborn itself? Uh, I would say at this point, about four or five hours. Okay. Which is probably ends up being, I don't know, I'd say four or five runs of the game. Okay, so about an hour per run. Yeah, yeah, and your your runs at least your your initial runs are more about making sure that you can get to certain parts of the map so that you can unlock fast travel points and also find the heroes that you want to use. Um, and I should say that there's another really fascinating element of this that really does bring it back to a sort of roguelike feel, which is that when you get new heroes and even your your base hero uh, who is a a very knightish sort of character uh, and you restart your game uh, you you create a new game after losing against the boss your skills are actually randomized so you can start with a completely different sort of set of skills Hmm. and so as you go into these caves again you might get certain items that you'll say okay well this will actually work better for this character uh, than it does for maybe another character where in an in a different run it might have been the complete opposite so i think that's a that's a really neat sort of system and it's really enhancing the replayability of this admittedly straightforward and simplistic rpg but all of these folds just make it all that more appealing to me it sounds really cool yeah uh so are there any other games that you'd like to talk about, Will? Um, a couple other games I played um, on Game Pass as well, because, again, I finished Vesperia before the subscription ran out, and I was like, oh, got to pack in some more. And two games I was curious about hit Game Pass, so it was perfect timing. Very cool. So I played j- just a little bit of Scarlet Nexus and Astria Ascending. Um, and Scarlet Nexus is one I'd had my eye on for a while, and I don't remember if they said it was coming to Game Pass a while ago, but I was like, I'll play it when it comes to Game Pass. I don't know if I was just confident in that or if the, if it was actually announced, um, but it is, and it was pretty cool. It was the gameplay was more fun and more my style than I expected, because you have like um, like sword combat, but you also have like um, what is it called? like psycho i can't remember the word mind powers okay uh you can move things with your mind you've got some telekinesis sort of stuff going yes. on yes like telekinesis got thank it. you um so you have these telekinetic powers that blend in with the combat really in a really cool way so you've got like your sword attacks and then you've got your telekinetic powers where you're like throwing cars and barriers and things like it's the opening at least is like in a street setting in an urban street environment so there's like all this kind of debris and big stuff in the streets that you can throw at the monsters and i got a a real strong astral chain vibe from the game overall 
but red because astral chain was very blue <laughs> and it's like that but everything's red um and it was pretty cool um i don't know if i'll continue too much more because uh, my game pass subscription is, is expiring and it didn't super hook me like i i was actually like pleasantly surprised by the the variety of combat but it was very action heavy and very light on rpg mechanics like i got the feeling that that i guess like any like you you have levels and you level up and you learn new skills but it felt very like on a track and like those were more for a sense of progression than customization purposes and the combat was where the game was really focused on and that was like 95 percent of what's going to determine a battle and anything else is just just icing on the cake i guess so uh, pleasantly surprised cool game I, th- I thought it was pretty interesting but not but like definitely for people who really love action games i was at, at least when i was first seeing footage of this game and and the way that a lot of people had been hyping it up uh was that it was sort of an anime equivalent of uh, or a more anime uh sort of version of dark souls combat but the way that you're describing it makes it sound really more like an action game than anything yeah it didn't feel very dark soulsy to me it was it was pretty difficult though i started on normal and adjusted down to easy pretty quickly when i got destroyed by like a random enemy pretty early on and i was like i was trying to heal and i couldn't figure out how to use the buttons to heal so I died, and like if I had known how to do that, maybe it would have been okay. But there were this game suffered a lot from having one billion tutorials at the very beginning, and like every time you try to do anything, it's like here's a new page of inf- of text to read about how to do another thing, and I'm like, but I'm still trying to do the other thing. Um, so then when that prompt popped up to show me how to use items, I was mashing A because I was fighting, and I just like mashed through it by accident, and uh. I was like. Okay, I think I saw a D-pad. So I used the D-pad to heal, but I just couldn't figure out how to do it in time in the midst of combat. Ah, that's frustrating. I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, that's that's never a good feeling. And, you know, that might just be some of the uh, early RPG tutorial blues. But, yeah, uh, I think so. But that's also never never fun when a, a game doesn't really communicate its, its systems very well. This is why a, a lot of games, especially JRPGs, do benefit from uh from demos like uh, yes i think it would be i I would maybe even feel a little cheated if i were to pick up voice of cards and then see all the gameplay and be like oh that's that's it huh uh but that that's why maybe uh for some people playing those demos can be really useful and i do know that i i want to say at least they had some some demos for Scarlet Nexus that gave you maybe a, a look at certain scenarios uh, that you would be experiencing in the game, but I, I'm not 100% sure about that. Um, but it's it's a very unique sort of game. Um, there, there was another one that released that seemed very, very similar in, in theme or maybe even gameplay mechanics, but I'm blanking on what that might have been. Um, it, it, does this ring any bells or... <laughs> it 
kind of, but I can't think of anything specific. But it feels like that kind of game. Like, it feels like these are the hot elements right now, so we're going to mash them together. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely sort of the vibe that I get. And this game also kind of reminds me of, I, I played through God Eater 3, and some of its aesthetics uh, were reminiscent of that. But I think God, mm. e- God Eater 3 is definitely more of a Monster Hunter game than this is which I think this is uh, just a action combat sort of game. Mm-hmm. With some cool telekinetic powers thrown in there. Cool. And which did add some really cool variety that I thought was unique and fun. The, the powers, though, were a little slow, I found, so they didn't blend like as seamlessly as I wanted them to with the combat, and maybe I would have gotten used to it more over time, but they felt like... And maybe this is a cool thing. Like they felt like they were really heavy to pick up. Like you'd, you'd try to like match. Like it would. There's a lot of combos, so you try to like get in some hits and then do a combo to bring in something with the powers. And it would just take so long. Like you'd be holding down the button, like waiting for the thing to hit it, which is kind of cool thematically. But in terms of gameplay, it was kind of like, come on. Like I'm trying to do this fast-paced combo. It's gonna be cool, but I'm just sitting here waiting for it and getting attacked. Well, so do you have light and heavy inputs? I think you do. You have several different kinds of inputs. Okay. Uh, because so the combat's pretty varied and fun. If these telekinetic abilities were essentially your heavy inputs, I could see that being kind of a neat uh, sort of mechanic. But if there's even more to do or more to utilize, uh, yeah, that sounds like there's a lot of variety. Uh, I wonder how much customization you can put into your play style, though. Mm-hmm. It didn't look like a ton, but I didn't. I only scratched the surface, so there could be a lot more there. Sure. But didn't really give a great first impression either, which I think is really essential. Well, I think it was more a matter of a not for me than a not good, if that makes sense. Like, I think if people are interested in it, I wouldn't say like, oh, like that's not a good game or it's it doesn't have a good opening. I'd be I'd just say like, oh, yeah, it, I just realized it wasn't my kind of game, but I it seemed good. Like, it seemed fun. Well, that's a very democratic answer. <laughs> uh, and I I do want to ask, you have not played enough of Astria Ascending to give any initial impressions? This is another one that is not for me, and it kind of goes back to our discussion oh. about uh, bouncing off games, because I saw... All I saw about this game was it's so beautiful, and that's, like, literally the only thing I saw about it. And then I started up, and... I just had like so many weird issues like it the controller wasn't working when I started it up and I had to go on some forums and people were like oh yeah this game has problems so you have to restart (laughs) do a hard restart of your console and then it started up and then the sound wasn't working so I had to restart it again and then I and I had just been playing Scarlet Nexus and Tales of Vesperia so I knew like it was the game and then I got the sound working and then the graphics were just too bright on my TV. And I'd also, again, been playing other games and watching Netflix and it was fine. So I'm like, this is weird. But I had to tone the brightness down just to see start new game because it wasn't visible on the screen. And then I got into the game and I just did not like the art style at all. It reminded me of you talking about, I forget what it was, but like a character with arms that don't move. It felt like like the, the character just didn't feel right in the world to me and the way they moved felt weird. And it looked visually not like the art style, but the 
I don't know, kind of the trappings of it felt kind of like SteamWorld Quest, where it's like yes. kind of these 2D hand-drawn, almost like cutouts moving in this world. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed weird. Like in that game, it worked for me. And this one, it, I I don't know. Something about it just like everything was just turning me off from it. There's and I don't. Yeah, go, go there's ahead. there's a really delicate line that you have to toe with an art style like that. And actually, mm-hmm. one of the games I'm going to be talking about for my quest today falls into that similar category. So mm. I can definitely understand why aesthetically this might not work for you. Um, you know, this is a game that I'm really curious about just because I've heard a lot of big name uh developers creatives in in japanese rpgs contributed to it but i will say there are parts about the art style that i i did find very appealing but there were also parts that i knew were gonna grade on me and so this is a game that i would love to demo in order to get those Mm -hmm. final thoughts for um because i'm definitely curious but i'm not sure i'm i'm ready to to drop the money uh, on this because this is a it's a $40 game on on switch at least and that's Ooh, yeah that's, that's a steep entrance for something you're not sure about exactly so uh you, you didn't really even have any any time to engage with combat or anything no? i didn't get anywhere i wandered around for a bit and i couldn't figure out where to go and i was like i'm just done with this. <laughs> um, i don't know where i'm supposed to go i kept like ending up back in the same area in the starting area and i was like what is going on here this doesn't make any sense yeah that's really frustrating i'm, I'm sorry yeah, to hear I'd, that yeah i'd say if you're interested though maybe watch some gameplay on youtube or wherever twitch wherever you can find it and i think you'll know if it if you like the style or not when you see it moving because for me i think it was more about the way things moved in that art style that didn't feel right to me like it looked okay okay <laughs> yeah i don't know uh, I, I I think that in terms of aesthetics, uh, it it can greatly impact things. And I will say that the the manner of the character models is is one thing, right? The the way that they move that that's one thing. But also the character designs are really important too. Mm-hmm. And you know, Steam World really benefits from this art style because they are supposed to be robots and so each part yeah, of them moves in this sort of disjointed way that you say oh, well this is justifiable right mm-hmm. <laughs> and it doesn't work for for all games though and so while again i i do think that some of the character designs for this game are, are absolutely gorgeous and i've never seen anything like them in other rpgs uh, I, I I can understand how the aesthetics are like even for a, a new franchise might be off putting to potential adopters. Yeah, I'm just looking at screenshots now, and I'm like, this doesn't look like the game I was playing. But I think <laughs> now that I'm looking at some other ones like that are clearly gameplay. So I think a lot of the images that are being shared are not gameplay. Really? They they look like they should be like just cartoony. But then you see them, and it, it, yeah, it's quite different. Yeah, I think also combat looks very different from just how you explore the world, too. Yes, it does. And these models might look better in combat than they do. I think they do. Yeah, yeah I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, 
I've had that experience before. So I'm they s- look weird walking, I think, is the only thing, honestly. Yeah, I did see, I think one of the protagonists is, is a rather leggy female. Yes. <laughs> She's all legs. <laughs> like, at least 90%. And listen, there's nothing wrong with being a leggy female. It's just that the animation cycle was a little strange. Yeah, exactly. Um, So I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, Maybe I will take a look at this game and maybe we'll hear some thoughts about it if I do uh, plan on picking it up. But it seems like a pass from you. Yeah. Keep me posted on if you find out more or play it, get your hands on it. Sure. Uh so the last game that I'd like to really just touch upon, I don't want to go into a whole lot of detail about this, is I started playing a game called Cardiclism, Shards of the Four. <laughs> I actually, in the show notes, I have Shards of the Floor, which is not right at all. Uh, no, but uh, this is a deck-building RPG, so obviously it's right up my alley. But nice. from what I've seen so far, it's... I think a little bit more limited in in options. The combat is very straightforward, and uh, with a lot of the early game skirmishes, you can kind of complete battles in a single turn. And to me, that doesn't scream strategic depth in terms of <laughs> no. um, of of deck building. And also, and this is another weird thing that is really starting to grate on me. Because uh, I think it works in some games rather well, games like SteamWorld Quest, uh, where you have a lot of variety in playable characters, but you can only have 14 cards in your deck in this game, and uh, I feel like that's limiting a whole lot of what I could be capable of doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that that comes back to how fast they want battles to occur. And you are playing as a sort of mage who is summoning creatures in front of you. And you essentially need to make sure that by the end of your turn, you are going, your creatures are going to be able to survive the enemy Mm. uh, turn so that you don't get hit yourself. Because as soon as you get hit, that's an instant game over and you get booted to the start of whatever realm you are in. So, So you have to prioritize defense over offense? kind of Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's it's a weird system and what makes it stranger is i I guess it's it's eh, it it doesn't make it stranger it's it's very magic the gathering-esque in that when you summon a creature uh, it can attack an enemy and the enemy also retaliates at the same time Um, so you know if they're damage value is higher than your hp when you attack them you can actually end up getting killed Uh, oh wow or uh, your creature can end up getting killed Uh, but your creatures their their hp is is constant too right so it's not that sort of idea in magic the gathering where if you complete a skirmish then those creatures values go back up to their Mm -hmm. normal uh toughness uh, number right if you take three damage uh, and you have an, uh, a, a creature that has you know five toughness it's down to two so even attacking as soon as you summon monsters is a little bit of a risk but then again some of the monsters that they give you to start off can like attack two times in a row 
and once a monster or once an enemy has retaliated once they can't retaliate again so that's essentially like a free hit um so there's a lot of cards in the game and i know that there are evolutions to certain cards it's it's definitely not the same as something like monster train or uh, slay the spire and i think that's to the game's benefit if it were more like those games i would be comparing it to them a little bit more mm-hmm. and i'd probably be much more critical um, but it's doing its own thing and i don't know how much time i'll sink into it but it is a deck builder that is different and i can appreciate it for that okay i'm glad it's doing its own thing that's interesting at least yeah, I just don't know if I'm sold by that own thing just yet. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So, yeah, um, that's all that I've been playing. I think that's all you wanted to cover as well. Yeah, let's move on to our quests. Sounds good. And I think you are up first this week, Will. I am. My quest was number 31 on the quest board. The best slash a great final dungeon in an RPG. I'm and very curious I've... about this because this uh, is very opinionated and it mm-hmm. is definitely based on your own experience. So are you going to start with what you consider to be the best or are you just talking about a great one? I'm just talking about a great one. I found this quest to be very challenging and really, I could not think of like what is the best. So I just went with one that I think is really interesting and cool. Cool which is um, Final Fantasy VIII's Final Dungeon. So I have no idea (laughs) what happens at the end of of Final Fantasy VIII, and so I'm really curious. You might have to give some context. Uh, You know, Final Fantasy VIII, despite VII Remake being a fairly new game, Final Fantasy VIII has been out there for a while, so I don't think we Mm -hmm. need to put a, a spoiler uh here but i think maybe in the in the show notes we'll we'll probably uh have a place or a timestamp for people to skip ahead if they don't want this dungeon spoiled for them yeah that's a good idea because it's yeah that's another thing this quest was interesting because all the other quests i've had have been something i could just dive into a game and play it and this I actually could as well because i happen to have a save point in the final dungeon of final fantasy 8 but <laughs> It wasn't something I could like jump in and start a new game and play all the way through to the final dungeon. Sure, yes. Um, and the more I thought about it, I, as a gamer myself, I typically get impatient by the end of a game, and I just want to like burn through the last like usually three quarters of the game. And I'll just like get through it as fast as I can, and then I'll hit the final dungeon, and it becomes a grind because I raced through too much and I'm under leveled. And then, and then, like, I leave with a bad taste in my mouth because I'm like, oh, this Final Dungeon was such a pain. That's, like, my standard RPG experience. <laughs> um, and so I enjoy ones where you can run from Final Encounters. Sure. And it, when they're, like, mini-bosses and you don't have to fight them all and then randomly get one, one hit knocked out. Um, but the reason I chose this one, and honestly, I don't think I'm going to spoil too much, it's in this cool, like, old, old-timey old gothic-style castle, which has a, a really cool vibe. Um, and it has some puzzles. It's got a good mix of things, so it's interesting. It's not like a slog to fight a bunch of mini-bosses or really tough random encounters or anything like that. Um, so the, the battles are interesting. 
there's some puzzles they're not like overly complicated so you're not like okay i want to just get to this final boss now but this stupid puzzle um they're they're interesting puzzles and but the thing that is most interesting about it to me is there's this i don't know if you'd call it a mechanic or how the end of the game works from this dungeon is that all of your abilities get sealed off so all you can do i think all you can do is attack and that's the only thing you can do and then or maybe you can choose a couple i should have done better research but (laughs) you have very limited options you can't use magic you can't use items you can't draw magic which is how the whole um, magic and customization and stat boosting mechanics all work in the game is drawing magic out of enemies and then junctioning it to skills junctioning it to your summons and making them stronger in different areas um so you can't do that basically you have nothing you can just attack things and then you can choose which bosses you fight there are several bosses in the final dungeon and as you fight them you get to choose which skill you unlock for each one so if you beat one of the bosses you can unlock magic and then you'll have attack and magic and then if you beat another one you can get items back and if you beat another one you can draw Um, i think summoning is another one that gets locked out and there's maybe like at least one more thing that's locked off so you can choose and some people choose to do like challenge challenges where they don't unlock anything and they fight the final boss only attacking and i actually came across someone's blog who did that when i was looking um looking up dungeons and reading about final dungeons for this episode um someone did that and then they they just grinded to like level 99 and and they said it was too easy so they went back (laughs) and they're like i'm gonna do it without grinding now oh wow (laughs) which is sounds really brutal to me but also really interesting that it made them play the game in a different way but i i thought that was just a really cool way um, because it lets you have some agency over how the final battle goes. You can make it as challenging or it's not really easy, but easier as you want. And you can choose which skills are important to you. And the thing that I really like about it is, again, like I talked about wanting to just get through the game at the end, you can say, okay, uh, my strategy in this game really revolves around magic, and I have a healer, so I don't really need items. I'm not really going to summon. So I'm just going to fight the one mini boss, get back the ability I need, and go take it on. Or you could say, uh, I'm struggling with the boss, so I'm going to get all of them or any combination. And I find that that choice really interesting and really cool because it makes the end of the game whatever you want it to be. It's not going to be too easy for you because you can make it harder on yourself or it, it can be you know whatever you want it to be. I love that. And, you know, for a series like Final Fantasy, where I've never really felt that dungeon design has been the most essential, uh, I don't know, pillar of its mm-hmm. uh, of its design, I, I think Final Fantasy is always great about depicting locales and sort of having you drink in the atmosphere, especially yeah. with the combination of, of aesthetics and you know, soundtrack and, and, you know, strong narrative, um, that it's, it's something that is, is, is rarely 
touched upon, or at least I don't hear a lot of people talk about the unique mechanics of Final Fantasy Dungeons. So to hear you talk about this really novel approach to uh, a Final Dungeon, uh, I I think only makes me (laughs) believe more that Final Fantasy VIII would maybe be the entry that I would enjoy the most. Um, and I've heard a couple of people talk about it previously, and I know that it is a controversial uh, <laughs> sort mm-hmm. of entry uh, for, for a variety of reasons. But that does sound really neat and very appealing to me. Um, and I guess, you know, I, I'll be very honest, right? This is a quest of my own design. And so I've played a lot of RPGs that focus very specifically on on dungeon design i mean i think i came to appreciate dungeon design when i played a lot of etrian odyssey games and so Mm -hmm. if i were to be you know using this quest as as a basis i would probably talk about some of those uh those dungeons but i also i think i have zelda to thank in terms of thinking about why dungeons are compelling Uh, and you know zelda uses puzzle solving a a great deal and sort of constructing a narrative around the items that you have access to Um, and maybe sometimes blending aesthetics too or having a narrative that goes throughout a, a specific dungeon but there are gameplay mechanics that can make these experiences memorable not just because they are at the end of the game and I've, you know, encountered certain dungeons, and, and they can be from games that I actually do love very much. Like, for example, I, I think that the last, what I would consider to be a dungeon in uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is really weak. Um, I, I think the conclusion of that game is, is weak in a lot of ways. Uh, but again, maybe that's maybe that's best saved for the xenoblade chronicles 2 takedown episode that will happen someday (laughs) but it also makes me think about okay well how can a developer keep me engaged in the gameplay angle uh, of this game this video game uh Mm -hmm. when you're at a point where you're barreling towards the conclusion of a narrative and so much of what you talked about you know giving players freedom of choice uh allowing them these options for for how they are going to approach the final boss having them understand hey this is how this dungeon is going to unfold and these are the uh steps that you can take to make it easier or more difficult uh, for yourself i think that's all really neat stuff and it recontextualizes all of the choices you've made in the game previously i mean i love that comment that you're that you're making where hey if i built my party in a specific way i don't have to address all of these bosses i can just take what i need and go and fight um so that is that really does sound pretty awesome to me uh do you have any other um honorable mentions or maybe you want to save that for when this quest comes up again in the future there was another game that kept coming to mind, but the more I thought about it, the dungeon itself was not really good, but it had a similar kind of mechanic as what I was talking about with Final Fantasy VIII, which was um, Xenogears. Have you played Xenogears? I have not, no. 
The earlier Xeno games are unfortunately games that I've missed out on, so I've not. They're played. hard to get. They're hard <laughs> to get a hold of these days. I know, and I think that's a shame. Yeah, um, but this final dungeon is kind of a slog, and I needed a walkthrough, which wasn't the most fun. But it had a similar thing at the end where you can fight some mini bosses and as many or few as you want, and you can. And I think they actually, it's the opposite. They, for each one you take down, it takes down a significant chunk of the final boss's HP and one of its skills. So okay. if you, and they're really, the mini bosses are really hard. So it's pretty advantageous to take down a couple of them and choose the skills that you really need to lock out based on your strategy and not take them all on or you can really just take them all on and make the final boss a lot easier you can choose which part is more difficult that that mini boss run or the final boss mm. that is very cool and I, I i do think i'm a real you know proponent of of the idea that if a dungeon is memorable enough uh, you don't have to have this sort of earth-shattering multi-phase final boss. Yes. Um, which I think a lot of games do tend to to lean on. And I, I think that final sort of capstone of the experience can be all-encompassing. Uh, and, and those examples are definitely great uh, sorts of approaches to that, that idea and that design. So really cool, really thoughtful uh, answers, Will. I was not expecting uh, either of them and i think that is great <laughs> because that means that if i ever get this quest i will have uh, my own approach perfect so i guess we can move right into my quest and let's go i'll ask you first and foremost will have you ever heard of fallen legion rings a bell but i don't know what it is so not too long ago, actually, I think over the summer, a Fallen Legion game uh, released on multiple platforms. I believe it was called Fallen Legion Revenant. And, well, it's a sequel to some other games that appeared on, I want to say, the Vita first and then made their way to other consoles because the Vita was not a very successful device, unfortunately. But the game in particular that I'm going to talk about today uh, is Fallen Legion Rise to Glory, which is a combination of the two separate Vita games that were available, uh, and you can now play through both of those stories on Nintendo Switch, I believe also on PS4 and Xbox One. But it is important to, again, reestablish what this quest is all about, and so this is quest number 26, an RPG that is all gimmick and no polish. So RPGs are all about choice, right? Meaningful choice. And so if you are in the middle of a sequence where you have to battle a lot of things, and then you are presented with a choice and you don't really know the outcome of things, it can make that choice sometimes something that you want to dwell on or or focus on uh, a great deal and that's what fallen legion does so the first thing that i'll say is fallen legion is very similar aesthetically to something like astria ascending uh, you could say that it is similar to steam world quest in some ways as well it's a 2d rpg 
where battles uh, unfold and you have a player avatar uh, who is summoning the fallen legions uh, of old uh, soldiers and and uh, individuals who will fight at your side and and attack your enemies for you and the combat system is I, I guess I would say it's input based each of these uh, fallen enemies is mapped to one button on your uh, on your controller. So I believe you have three or four. I, it's actually only three sort of fallen uh, legion soldiers that you can utilize, and they all have very unique character designs too. So that's that's definitely an element of this game that they're really trying to push is the aesthetic uh, element. But okay. when you press a button uh you you take a little bit away from that specific character's action gauge and so you can perform these combos uh, where you sort of chain together attacks and um you can start by attacking with maybe your your lance uh user and then switch to your your gun user and that's all by just pressing different face buttons and kind of chaining uh attacks together um but there are some inputs that will take away more of your action gauge and you always want to have action gauge available to you because essentially when you're not attacking uh, when you're not building up a combo or a, a chain uh, your enemies can attack you back and they can deal some pretty serious damage to you. So that's the combat side of this. But the the game unfolds through a, a sequence of, I guess you could call them skirmishes, but they are series of battles chained together. And you, you attack a, a certain group of enemies, you defeat them, you progress, and then you, you come to the next group. And it's sort of, it looks like a, an auto-run game, if that makes sense. So you complete your skirmish, and then you move forward on the map. Okay, um, yeah. But, you know, you don't have control over where you're going. And in between these battles, uh, you are presented with moral choices, because the two playable characters are leaders of these military factions, and so they're they're trying to appease certain individuals so that they can uh, grow their forces and they want to also defeat the enemy. Um, and so the, the neat thing about, I guess, the narrative is that these two playable characters are on opposite sides of this war. And so you can play out either of their stories in whatever order you want. Um, so these these the sorts of moral point uh, choices come up mid-battle. And you usually get to pick from one of three options. And there's an oppressive option, there's a, uh, a very merciful option, and then there's usually one that's kind of in the middle of, of the two. And you do get to see, really at the end of these uh, skirmish runs, you get to see how those choices impact certain individuals. Uh, you can talk with NPCs and hear about, you know, how your choice that you made in the moment uh, affected them. Um, but even though you get to experience these these sorts of decisions, and then sometimes some of the decisions you make can actually open up new skirmish routes that you can go down, um, the choices never really feel all that meaningful. 
And I think the reason that this is, is because the character customization element of this game is very, very limited. You can use different sorts of, of characters to fight with, but that's but their unique skills, I guess, and, and their unique abilities are really limited or limiting uh, in, in terms of how you're going to approach certain scenarios. Um, and so it never really feels like something that is tactically deep. Uh, and there are all of these unique ideas in Fallen Legion, but they never mesh together to make something that that feels like a cohesive vision uh, which i think is is really a shame and i wish that i could kind of go into more detail about this except there's really no content aside from what i just explained to you Hmm. so you can talk to certain npcs and they can maybe open up new routes for you Um, but the dialogue that you can have with npcs is really limited because really most of the game are these auto-scrolling combat skirmishes. Uh, and the combat really, it isn't all that deep in, in any way. You can kind of put together, uh, again, combo chains. And the higher your combo chain is, the more damage you deal. But there's a certain point where you can only deal so much damage before you're going to be sent into cooldown and your enemy's going to have to strike you. And they can attack you in certain ways. And essentially, all you want to do is maximize your damage output so that you can beat them faster than they can beat you. And uh, there doesn't really seem to be any nuance to it. Now, I have heard that the battles in Fallen Legion Revenant are a little bit better balanced, that there are more meaningful choices, which I would hope, because it is the sequel uh, to this game that I'm talking about right now. But... I almost don't understand how they could even make a sequel with how poor of an impression this game left on me. And so I just didn't really feel like anything fit together. I felt like it was a very bare bones sort of experience where they really just showed you, hey, this is our novel combat idea, and uh, we didn't really think of anything else. And I think that's a shame. But, uh, you know, for a $40 game... Um, this this didn't really feel like it was full featured, uh, and and again we we do talk about the the difference of of you know how games are priced and what sort of experience they're offering. If this were maybe lower priced, I could justify it a little bit more, but I still think that no matter at what price point, I wouldn't feel that this is a satisfying RPG. So that's that's the. Uh, the short answer, well, uh, that, that wasn't really short at all. <laughs> um, that's, that's pretty short. That's the most straightforward answer I can give to this question. But it does also remind me of another game, too. And so I'm curious, Will, are you familiar with Indivisible? Indivisible. Again, it rings a bell. But oh, oh yeah, I think I did. Did I play this one? Well, are you familiar oh. with Skullgirls? No, I'm not. Okay, well, Skullgirls is a fighting game from a very uh, particular uh, development studio who prided themselves in a lot of hand-drawn animation. Okay. And Indivisible is their 
sort of Metroidvania, but also RPG. Uh, it's really more of an RPG than anything. Uh, oh, yeah, I, I just Googled it, and I did. I played this one on Game Pass, but not yeah. much of it. Yeah, and uh, this has hand-drawn animation, and the hand-drawn animation is actually more impressive than a lot of the games that we've talked about uh, previously in this episode. Uh, I think it's it's higher quality than Astria Ascending or Steam World mm-hmm. or Fallen Legion. But yeah, the gimmick here was kind of turning fighting game combos and juggling uh, into an RPG combat system. And uh, it, it does that, um, but I don't really think it does anything else all that well. And uh, that's, that's all I'm really going to say about that, but... Um, I think a lot of people went online and posted like, ooh, look at this amazing combo that I made with my team that I put together. And I was like, okay, that's cool. But uh, what else does this game do? And aside from the combo system that exists in the game, I didn't really find that there was anything else worthwhile uh, to, to invest my time into. There's a little bit of exploration that you can do uh, in the game, but I never found it really to be all that satisfying. Um, and this is a very talky game, mm. uh, which I think, again, some games can pull off because they're very, very charming, and some games can't. And that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> so any thoughts about uh, Indivisible from what little you did play of it? Um, I think it's a good fit for this quest that you had um because i think it is one of those games where yeah like you can do cool things and the concept is really cool but it does come off as a gimmick because that's the thing you remember about the game and like nothing else like hey remember that game with that kind of fighting combo system that was also kind of an rpg but like what else about it like it's not a full experience it's almost like a cool demo of an idea or something exactly yeah and i i I think you know, again, to boil a game down to uh, something being all gimmick and, and, and no polish, uh, that that's a really harsh sort of wording, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, because with a lot of games, you can say, oh, that's an RPG where you do this, that, or the other thing. Yeah. Um, but it does really depend on how well you are able to do those things. So, for example, have you ever heard of or played Fantasy Life? I've heard of that one, but I have not played it. So that was a, a, a sort of life simulator uh, RPG made by Level 5 of, of Nino Kuni fame um, that was released on the 3DS. And all of the different lives that you could, you could take on, you could become a tailor or a chef or, or, or all of these different things. And the gimmick was that you can kind of choose whatever life that you want um, and, and switch between lives if you think that, you know, you, you want to expand into other areas. Except the sorts of quests that existed for each life um, really relied on being able to implement the other sorts of lives or, or you know, I keep using the word life. They're essentially job classes, right? Okay. Um, except some of the job classes are very specifically hunter right or farmer the the jobs are not always combat centric 
And some jobs that are not combat centric require you to go out into the field and get materials from monsters, which means that you need to take on a a combat centric job. Mm. So it's kind of like this weird rune factory sort of game where you can do all of these things and you choose what you want to focus on. But they tried to market it as like, oh, you can just do this one thing instead of doing all of these other things. But you couldn't really do that. And then the sorts of tasks that you would complete, like the mini games for being a chef or a tailor, for example, were really simplistic and kind of gimmicky in a way that didn't have a whole lot of depth. And so that's usually what I think of when, I, when it comes back to talking about gimmicks is is the level of depth that they they show in their systems and some games you know are are able to pitch a gimmick and sell it and and be short enough that you can say this was a satisfying exploration of this gimmick Mm -hmm. right um and i can't really well i i can think of a of a couple of rpgs crimson shroud in particular i think sells its gimmick very well but I just played over the weekend a game called Tori 3D, which is a, a 3D platformer, and it's only nine levels, but it's only 99 cents too. And by the end of my play experience, I was like, I don't think there's anything else that they could have shown me, but I enjoyed every single moment of what I played. Cool. So they understood their scope. Yes. And what and they could I, do with I think with JRPGs, well, with RPGs just in general, right? There's always this feeling of like, if you do have a gimmick, you you still need to do you need to jump through all the other RPG hoops, right? Yeah. Which is, well, okay, our game needs to be at least forty to fifty hours long and have like mm-hmm. a, a really involved story, and if your gimmick can't support the rest of what that implies, then it's not going to be successful. Right. Yeah. Any any sorts of uh, of games that that come to mind when you think of uh, of, of gimmicky sorts of mechanics? Um, a lot of different ones do, but none that I want to explore now. I want to save my <laughs> save my ideas in case I land on this one. Sure, that makes sense. Uh, well, with that being said, I think we can head on over into our new quest rolls, right? Yeah, let's go. So I am getting my dice ready right now. And yeah. I guess I'll be rolling first, right? Yes, you're on number 26. Number 26. So I am five spaces behind you. I'm hoping that I roll high enough to uh, get my enemy encounter. Oh, so yeah, you got to sh- take that one on, right? Yes, it's, it's required of me. So let's see uh, what happens here. I'm going to give myself a roll. Of course I rolled a one. Oh. Oh, no. Oh, and it's too bad I just talked about Indivisible because... uh, (laughs) That would be a good one. Yeah, number 27 is an RPG crossed with an unexpected or surprising genre. So Mm. I'm looking forward to, to addressing this. That is an interesting one. Yes. We've got to get our... uh... We got to level up so we can skip over quests, maybe. I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's something that we definitely will definitely will be talking about in the future. Learn some new skills, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of jobs, you know that uh-huh. might be uh, uh-huh. that might be valuable. 
But, um, Will, uh, you're on 31. Yes. Let's see what you roll. Here I go. Oh, I got a two. Ah, well, it's a low roll kind of night. 200% better than me. One, two. Uh, an RPG that deserves a sequel. Cool. That sounds like an interesting one. Cool. I, I could, man, I could list a whole bunch <laughs> that I would... Uh, <laughs> Uh, for this so i i'm really curious to to hear your thoughts especially because of your unique tastes or at least the the difference between our tastes yes, um but, we, but go ahead no 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 i i, I had nothing to say oh. <laughs> but mm-hmm. i guess that that's also a good indicator that we should head into our plugs right let's, let's wrap this up yeah uh so of course you can always find our uh, specific podcast Twitter is at RPG PodQuest, uh, not podcast, but PodQuest. That's on Twitter.com. And if you ever want to, you know, follow up with us about a specific game, if you feel that our take about whether, uh, or, you know, Final Fantasy VIII's Final Dungeon is good or whether Fallen Legion is, uh, is gimmicky, uh, is something that you want to trade blows uh, verbally about you can always send us an email uh, at rpgpodquest at gmail.com you can find us uh, wherever you listen to podcasts we're on spotify we're on apple we're on google uh, and that's all that we have listed here but maybe we're available somewhere else i don't know i'm not entirely sure uh, will where can they find you on twitter you can find me on twitter at cosmic x library Excellent. And you can also find me on Twitter at RPGSEB. And uh, Will, have you been uh, streaming any games lately? Um, I have not in a while. I was streaming a little bit of Trails of Cold Steel, and I think I'll get back to that soon because I'm a cold weather streamer. (laughs) I've been out enjoying the summer weather a lot, but it's getting a lot cooler here. Mm. So you'll probably be able to find me more on Twitch, and I'm also there at Cosmic or Cosmic Library as well. Very nice. Yeah, and I definitely uh, know that feeling. The uh, autumn and winter months are a great time for gaming, and I'm looking forward to uh, to cozying up to some new games. And we've Snuggle got we've, up with a Switch. <laughs> yeah, and we've also got a stacked uh, year or at least season ahead of us uh, in terms of autumn and winter. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff coming. But uh, with all of that out of the way, we are we are going to head off to our, our next quests, and we thank you so much for listening. Again, uh, we would love to hear your thoughts about the show. Uh, we'd love to hear if you are following along on your own quest board. We are just going to keep moving forward. So we will see you guys around. See you around. <laughs>